shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come again to study this series together, and especially, Lord, the sermon that Jesus gave for all of us to understand and to hear and to take away from it important life principles. I pray that, Lord, you would be with us now, that you would guide and lead us, that your truth, your word, the Bible would come alive and be written upon our hearts and minds, that you would guide us with your spirit. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sins of the heart is what we are looking at this evening. And, you know, it's something similar to along the lines of what we studied last time, last week, as we looked at what? Anger, holding anger in your heart, hatred in your heart for your brother. It's the same as murdering them. Well, let us look at our key text or the beginning of the key text found in Matthew chapter 5 this evening. It is Matthew 5, 27 to 28. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Friends, what is it that Jesus here equates the same as committing adultery? It is what? Lusting after a woman in his heart. And obviously, this is referring to the male gender here because, of course, a woman cannot um, lust after, well, actually, a woman can. But, you know, when, when it's talking about lusting after a woman, it's referring to the man. And, of course, a woman can lust after a man in their heart. But this is really similar to what we studied last week about hating your brother. If you are angry at someone without a cause and you're holding it in your heart, you don't want to let it go, Jesus said it is the same as murdering. Why? Because you're holding these feelings in your heart for this person. And in this case, a man who lusts after a woman in their heart, they are holding the thought of that woman continually, constantly in their mind. And he is thinking about her and longing after her. Now, friends, this is different to just a passing thought. You know, you're driving on the road and you're driving down the highway and you see a billboard pass you and it's advertising a car and next to the car there stands a woman in a bikini with hardly any clothing on. And you know, it's not something that any man really should be seeing. And no, it doesn't make it right even at the beach, right? But what happens? You quickly turn away from that, that, that picture that you, you see there and you're not holding on to that thought or that picture in your mind and instead, you're asking God, you're praying to God, God, help me not to think about this. Oh, please, look, take that picture out of my mind. That is different, friends. Look, there will always be instances like this throughout our lives. Whether you're walking by and you see someone in the flesh like that, or you're scrolling through social media and one of your friends posts something like that on their accounts about themselves or their friends or something like that. In fact, the word lust actually means to set your heart upon it, or to long for, to desire, or to covet. So when it comes to lusting after a woman in your heart, or lusting after somebody in your heart, there seems to be this intentionality about keeping that picture, that thought before your eyes, in your mind. You're trying to remember it. You're trying to keep it there, you know. We want to keep dwelling upon it. And so that's what that lust is referring to there. Now look, 
Maybe you might be saying in your hearts that, well, it's normal to hold on to something in your heart after you've seen it, right? And yes, that's true to some extent. I mean, look, a picture, once you see something, you can't unsee it, right? And, uh, you know, we say, well, we, 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 we've seen this on our mind, but friends, to keep thinking about it, to keep holding that thought in your mind, to keep going back to, to look at that picture or that person, that's a choice that we can choose not to make. And so when it comes to desiring somebody and lusting after somebody in our hearts, that's different to a passing thought or something that passed by that you saw that really shouldn't be intended for your eyes at all. So look, this is what the Bible says about our eyes. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 23, it says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. We have to be so careful what we choose to behold, what we choose to look at, because truly the eyes are the avenues to our soul, to our mind, to our heart. And what we look at will surely affect our thoughts and our feelings, which will ultimately affect our character. Friends, it will affect us morally. To look at a woman in our hearts today and lust after them actually is so easy. You don't even need to leave your house anymore to do that. In fact, we haven't had to do that for decades already. The internet, it opens up a world of pornography so easily to us that we can hide in the secret of our rooms with these vices and not even a single person will know about it. You know, it's so easy to commit adultery in our hearts today, friends. It is so easy. And we got to be so careful. We got to be careful about these things, even in our homes, that can become stumbling blocks to each and every one of us. Now, look, isn't there a difference between committing adultery, the very act, and lusting after a woman in your heart? You know, it, it, it might seem like, hey, these things are so different. And yet, if you take a step back and you look at it, it's like, yes, according to the letter of the law, yeah, there is a difference. I mean, you actually haven't slept with a woman, right? And that is true. However, the reason that Jesus says that there isn't a difference is because both begin where? In the heart. It is the root cause, the root problem. It is right here in our minds. And you know, just like anger, right? Jesus said, if you're angry with somebody and you hate somebody, it's like murdering. Why? What's the difference? Or what, why, why is it the same, actually? It's just that we lack the opportunity to either do it or we lack the courage to go forward and do it in person. So even though you might not be literally sleeping with a woman or a man, um, physically, but it's only here in your mind, Jesus says it's the same thing. It's the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law tells us that we have sinned in our hearts just as much as having committed the act itself. 
But of course, you know, just because you're angry with someone in your heart and you hate them and you don't like them and you despise them, it doesn't mean that you should go to prison and say, uh, you should put me in prison because I hate my brother. No, it's not literally on the outside. It's not exactly the same as really hating or killing somebody, but the spirit of the law as a Christian as believing believers in the Word of God, as followers of Christ, Jesus says these two things are on the same level. What is Jesus dealing with here? Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, the Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Christ He's dealing with our hearts. He knows how wicked our hearts are, how prone we are to sin. And even though sometimes we think that we are clean, that we're pure, although we haven't done anything wrong, the fact is that many of us today really are sinning in our hearts. And from last week, that's the anger. This week, we're looking at lust, sinful desires. Matthew 12, 34 says this, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? Now look at this. The second part is what's important. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Our hearts will dictate our actions, our words, our thoughts, even though we might not have given them action yet. Christ is saying beware because it can lead you to sin. It can. And to the point that not of actually committing the act in, it, in itself, but dwelling upon it and holding on to it, right? So when you're lusting after somebody or holding anger in your heart, Christ is saying it's the same thing as doing the act of adultery or murder itself. One more text, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, the Bible says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Friends, what we think in our hearts, it will ultimately shape our lives. Our thoughts can ultimately lead to sin. And in this case, there is sin in dwelling constantly on these types of thoughts, lust after a woman or holding on to anger. But friends, you know what's interesting though? is that Jesus only mentions two of the Ten Commandments in regards to these situations of sinning in our heart, anger and or hatred and lust, right? And it's the same as murder and adultery. There are two commandments of the Ten that deal with these two things, right? Um, but why only these two? If you look at the other commandments, especially in relation to man, okay, like take for example, um, lying, right? If you keep thinking about lying, but you don't actually lie, have you actually lied itself? No, we haven't. So the, the, the thought of lying is like, hmm, should I lie or not? And, and you keep thinking about the lie, but you don't actually lie and you come forward and tell the truth. Have you done it? No, you haven't, you see. And the same with stealing. You keep, you keep looking at a product in the, in the shopping center and you really wanted this gadget, maybe this phone, right? And, and you, you thought about stealing it, but you didn't steal it. You still lived an honest life. Have you broken that commandment about stealing? No, it isn't. So these things about thinking about lying and thinking about stealing, 
or even coveting after a man's wife. Well, that one really is about the sins of the heart here. Yes, you constantly think about that woman. And eventually maybe you might murder that man or, or, or uh, cause division in that home so that you can marry that woman, right? Um, yeah, that definitely is starting there in coveting. But coveting after a, a neighbor's car, I mean, if you just think about their car all the day long and it's such a nice car, maybe it's the only car of its kind in the whole world. And you, you think about it, you, you have pictures of it, but the fact is you haven't done anything else. Does that mean you have sinned and broken the 10th commandment about covetousness? No, you haven't. So, you know, the Bible, Jesus has highlighted two commandments of the 10 that we can break without actually doing it itself, right? which is murder and adultery. Holding anger in your heart, lusting after a woman or a man in your heart. So really, these are the only two instances that Jesus says our thoughts can be sin. Okay? Only two, these two fit the bill, and that's why not, no, no other of the Ten Commandments can fit that, 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 that spirit of the law that Jesus is trying to pull out here. These are two, and these are two that really many of us struggle with. If it's not lust, it's hatred. But how can we overcome this dreaded sin about lusting after a person in our heart? Well, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Look at this. Such important passage here. For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh. You see that? The, the, the war is not the actual flesh. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through who? Mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Friends, the war is not a war of the flesh. It is a war that is in our minds. And the Bible tells us that we need to cast down every imagination and every high thing that goes against or exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We have to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That means we have to capture every thought. That means we have to be watchful and aware of what we are actually thinking. We must always be alert with our minds. Do you know that? This means that the first thing is many of us, we gotta stop daydreaming. If we are in the habit of letting our minds wander, to think about this and to think about that, and even as we sit there and look out the car and not, not, not thinking about anything, you know, we have to be so careful that we ask God to help us to focus. Not focus on, on the bad things, but focus on the good things. We have to capture every thought that Christ says is not of me, that will not elevate you, that will not help your character, that will not speak good of me, that will not focus on heavenly things but on worldly things. You know, practically speaking, practically speaking, it's not just riding in the car, but many of us do this today, like scrolling through the internet on social media. This is why it becomes so dangerous. Why? It's mindless. Oh, I have nothing to do. I'm waiting at the dentist. Pull out your phone, put a book on there and read 
focus your thoughts instead of just going through Facebook and Instagram and just looking and looking and looking and looking. And before we know it, one picture leads to another picture, one thought leads to another thought. And before we know it, we're walking down the path in our mind to sin. And that's why some of us, we need to delete our Facebook accounts or our Instagram accounts or or TikTok or YouTube or whatever it is that makes us spend too much time on social media with mindless scrolling. Friends, we have to capture every thought. Do you see that? We must process every thought. We must be aware all the time of what we are choosing to think about and what our minds are focusing on. We have to be so careful. This is why Psalms, when it talks about a godly person, a a, a blessed man in verse 1, in verse 2, look at this, Psalms chapter 1 verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate, how often? Day and night. A blessed man, a godly man, they delight in the law of the Lord. They meditate, they think about it day and night. And that must be something that fills our hearts, fills our minds, fills our thoughts more than anything else out there. Some people say, well, can I really read the Bible whole day? Why not? Why not get to the point where God is just your constant theme of meditation, your constant theme of thought? He he won't lead you to sin better the Bible than anything else that's on social media out there, right? There's so much evil that just passes us by sometimes that we've gotten even used to it to the extent that it pulls us away from Christ without us realizing it. I mean, okay, you can't do it every minute of the whole day, but some of us, we need to get away and go to Bible school and spend more time there than in our work or in our studies. And just like Daniel, he prayed three times a day three times a day. If his mind was prone to wonder, by lunchtime, he would come back. Then he goes away, and if it was prone to wonder again, by dinner time, he would be back again. He made sure, he made sure that his mind was constantly, constantly meditating on Christ, on God. But let's look at another text, Hebrews ten sixteen. The Bible says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. You see, God, He wants to write His law in our hearts and in our minds. And friends, when is it that we write things down? We write things down when we don't want to forget what we've heard or what we've seen. We want to record some, some, some passage of a memory that has an experience that happened to us and maybe you didn't, you didn't get it in picture, but you want to write it down. You, you don't want to forget. You see, God, He wants us to remember Him everywhere we go. He wants us to remember Him when we're scrolling on our phones. He wants us to remember Him when we're driving down the road. He wants us to remember Him in what we choose to read in everything that we say and do. God wants to write His law in our hearts and in our minds. And if we can have His law written in our minds, we will not hold anger against our brother or sister or to anybody. We won't lust after a woman in our hearts. Christ will be there to help us cast out those thoughts, to throw them away, to capture it. And we're going to throw it out of our minds. Friends, we 
need to bring into captivity every single thought and hold it up with God's great standard. Now, it's not even asking if God would do this. It's one step before that. Does God want me to even think about this? Right? Casting down every imagination, every thought that goes against Christ, against the knowledge of God, of what we know about Jesus. Would he be ashamed if he knew that I was doing this? So we need his law. We need his word in our hearts if we wish to have victory over these two struggles of the heart. That's Psalms 119 verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We would find it easier to forgive our brother who hurt us if we would hide the word of God in our hearts. We would find it easier to have pure thoughts if we would just hide the word of God in our hearts. It's like the cleansing agent for our soul, friends. We got to put the word of God in our hearts today. However, Jesus does give a solution there in Matthew chapter 5, when it says, do not lust, lust after a woman in your heart. What does he say after this? Look at this, going back to Matthew 5, and now we're reading verse 29 and 30. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Friends, if we want to have victory, then we should cut off our hands or pluck out our eyes. That's what Jesus is saying. Why just our hands and our eyes though? We already read this earlier in Matthew 6 in relation to eyes. Why eyes? Well, let's go back there again and refresh this. Matthew 6, 22 to 23. What does the Bible say about the eyes? The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body shall be full of darkness. Friends, it is with our eyes that we dictate, where we determine to a great degree how our bodies will react. It will either shed light into our hearts and minds or will either shed darkness, right? It'll either bring light or it'll bring darkness into our minds. By beholding, we will become changed into the same image. That's why the eyes is one of those avenues to our souls. It can affect us morally and also our hands. What does the Bible say with our hands? Psalms 26 verse 10. In whose hands is mischief and their right hand is full of bribes. Do you see that? Our hands are full of mischief. It's what leads us sometimes into sin itself, right? We, we, we test things and try things, but what else? Proverbs 6, verse 17. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. So our hands shed what? It sheds innocent blood. It is our eyes and our hands that we need to be so careful about. What we look at and what our hands take hold of, it is that which leads us to sin. And Jesus says, it's better to pluck out your eyes 
or cut off your hands than to be led to sin with these two things, hands and our eyes. But does Jesus really mean that? Really, should we pluck out our eyes, cut off our hands? I mean, look, in regards to the sins of the heart, definitely not. Why? Because once the thought is there, it can never be erased. So even if you pluck out your eyes, the thought is still there and you can still dwell upon it. You can still think about it. You can still keep that picture that you've seen in your mind for the rest of your life. A picture tells a thousand words after all. But Jesus, he's dealing with something of the physical aspect though, all right? He is not just mental, but he definitely is dealing with something physical. He's telling us that we need to make it inconvenient for us to sin. For example, look, if you are struggling with pornography, you can't obtain victory over it, what should we do? Look, there are many actually physical things that we can do to assist ourselves. Definitely, we're not just dealing with the outside and plucking off the fruit, right? The heart needs to change. God wants to write the law in our hearts and minds. Definitely, definitely, we need time with God. But there are some physical things that we can do to cooperate with God, to work with God so that He can change us, assist Him in some sense to change us. So apart from what we studied already, Bible study, and prayer, what can we do physically? Well, for starters, maybe you can put your computer in a more public place, like in the living room, and never bring it to your room privately. And yes, it doesn't always help, especially if you're living alone, right? Then maybe you should consider living with other people or even have a roommate as much as you might not like it. But make it inconvenient, not in life, but inconvenient for yourself to sin. Pluck out the eye, chop off your hand, right? Or you could also tell somebody about it. Find somebody that can help you to be accountable, that you can pray with, that you can have a weekly meeting with them to catch up and to talk about what happened this past weekend and pray together and readjust. Or you can even put a lock on your computer browser. There's this program out there, I believe, called Covenant Eyes. I'm not sure how it works. I just heard about it. Some other people have used it and it's helped them, but it, it, it helps and it puts a block on the websites that you can go to. Or maybe you need to get to the point where you don't even have Wi-Fi at home or don't even have a computer at home. Or, okay, yes, we have our phones, but, you know, we, we got to be so careful, right? Whatever we need to do to make it inconvenient for ourselves to sin, let's do it, right? Maybe you just got to get rid of the laptop altogether. Maybe, I don't know, you need to figure it out. What can we do apart from just pray, 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 pray? Oh, it's just a spiritual thing. No, there can be accountability. You can get physical help out there. But let's have a look at some Bible texts as well. All right. Romans chapter 6. Romans 6 verse 6, the Bible says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, we should not serve sin. So what happens after a body part is actually cut off? It dies, right? And Jesus is spiritually talking about crucifying that body of sin, that old man of sin that always leads us down to this path of sinning. But 
how do we actually do this? It elaborates in Romans 6, but now we go to verse 11 to 13. How can we be dead to sin? Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Look, the first thing I want you to see here is in verse 11. You got to reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Look, in order to be dead to sin, we have to be alive to God. If God is not an active proponent of our life, if we're not spending time with Him, if we're not walking with Him, if we're not yielding ourselves and surrendering our lives to Christ every day, then we are alive to sin. That's what it is. You, you see that? The text there, it says, you have to reckon yourself dead to sin, but you've got to be alive to God. And then it, it says there in verse 13, don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves to God. Friends, this is why our daily devotions are so important. It's like our lifeline. Unless we're spending time with Christ, the old man of sin will reign alive and be alive in our bodies that will become slaves to sin. Friends, you know what a slave is? A slave doesn't have a choice. A slave has a master. A slave doesn't get paid. The master tells you to do this, you got to do it. And unless you become a slave to Jesus Christ, unless you yield yourselves to God and allow Jesus to become your master, sin and the devil will always be our master. We got to be willing to yield ourselves, to surrender our lives up to God and say, God, please be my master today. Take full control. And this is why, friends, our daily devotion is so important. You see, in 1 Corinthians 15.31, Paul says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die how often? Paul says he dies daily. And yes, he was talking about the physical persecutions that he was facing. But friends, this has a spiritual implication for us as well. We have to die every day. We got to surrender every single day day. We need to have that daily experience with Christ, to die with Him, in Him, to be crucified with Christ every single day. You know, friends, our eyes and our hands are such important body parts for us to, to live and to function day to day, right? And yes, there are some things that we might need to cut out of our lives that are important to us. Maybe that might be skipping a breakfast or a lunch or a dinner, skipping some sort of meal just so that you can spend a bit more time with Jesus. Or even just doing without some things in your life, like a laptop. The world may not understand the extremity of your actions while you're deleting Facebook or YouTube, right? These things are so, quote unquote, important to us to some extent today, but that's okay. As long as God understands, as long as you understand why you are doing what you're doing. Just make sure you're not weary in well-doing. You see, Christ, He wants to weigh up everything. He wants us to weigh up everything in the light of eternity. 
in the light of heaven. He doesn't want us to put the things of this earth over the things of heaven. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 37 asks us this question. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Friends, if we are to follow Jesus, there needs to be some sort of self-denial. There needs to be some sort of self-sacrifice, especially when it comes to dealing with the sins of the heart. There will need to be sacrifice of maybe some of even the good things in life, some convenient things, some precious things. What will we give in exchange for our souls? How important is eternal life to each and every one of us? You know, all this talk of self-sacrifice sometimes makes the person want to turn away from Christ right away. That's how we feel sometimes, isn't it? But what we don't realize is that Christ wants us to be happy on this earth as well. It's not that the road to victory is all about doom and gloom and we can't be happy here on this earth. No, Christ wants us to be happy here. You know, when we commit the sins of our hearts, we are not happy. People that are holding hatred in their hearts for another person, they're not happy. It makes them bitter. It's, it colors their whole life. It's, it's visibly obvious on, on their forehead, in their life, how they treat people, how they speak to people, even to their spouse at home or, or, or their good friends or their best friends. It changes us. It does. And we may think it's exhilarating when a person sleeps with another person that's not their wife or that, that, when they're not married or they're lusting after them in their hearts. Friends, the only thing that follows is self-hatred and, and guilt and shame. There's no joy in any of this. So don't think for a minute that indulging in sin is great and, and Jesus Christ is trying to take us away from all that makes us feel happy and feel good about ourselves. No, friends. Christ is trying to set us free from all these feelings of, gain, uh, of guilt and shame and all these things. Look at what Christ says in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they, that they might have it more abundantly. Christ says that he came that we might experience what? abundant life is all about, not just in the future immortal life, but even in this present life that we're living right now on this earth. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to have joy. He wants all the good things in this life for us. He wants to bless us abundantly, friends. He does. And you got to believe it. Don't think that following Christ is just a long road of self-denial and just no fun and no no. You can't enjoy this life at all, but friends, that's not true. That's the lie of the devil. That's what he wants you to think. But when you have freedom in Christ, friends, when you learn to experience abundant life, when you have the, 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 the joy of innocence, it changes your whole demeanor and the, the, your outlook on life, friends. It is different. It is.
you ought to give it a try sometime. But you know, lastly, Jesus, coming back to Matthew 5, we're not actually done with that whole passage of what we're looking at. There's one more thing that Christ brings up. Matthew 5, 31 to 32. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Look, divorce is a tricky topic, especially what Jesus says here. There is only one legitimate reason for divorce, and that's adultery or fornication. Anything short of that, you're already committing adultery, even though you haven't committed the act itself, because you're getting divorced for all the wrong reasons. Yes, it might be hard to swallow, but even when a husband abuses a wife, that that is not grounds for divorce. Separation, maybe for a while, yes, but not divorce. He's just got a temper issue, right? But he's not lusting after another woman in his heart, unless that's what he's doing already and has committed adultery. But no, neglect and not spending time together and feelings growing cold, that, that's not grounds enough for divorce. Stir up the passions of your heart to love your wife or your husband all over again, right? You can do that. But what Christ is really saying here is he's putting a really high standard, a high calling on marriage. He's trying to elevate it so high that we just don't just go out and consider divorce after having an argument. Divorce should really be the last option, never the first or even the second. And also, no, look, you should not be getting a divorce just because you committed adultery in your heart, because you lusted after another woman in your heart. No, what Jesus is saying here in regards to divorce is actually sleeping physically with another woman or a man that's not your husband or your wife. Yeah, friends, so no, we, we ought to be careful not to go, oh, I, I've, I've watched pornography, I should get a divorce from my wife. No, friends, that's not what Christ is referring to here. You need to cut that off. you got to chop off the hand or pluck out the eye, right? But Moses did, he, he did allow divorce in the Old Testament. He made provision for it. But what was the reason why he made this provision? Well, let's read in the New Testament here in Matthew 19 and verse 8. Jesus is speaking to the people. It's like when they ask Christ, oh, Moses allowed us to get divorced. But what did Jesus say? Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. What did Jesus say? It was because of the hardness of their hearts, the hardness of our hearts. So once again, Christ, he's dealing with the issue of the heart. Divorce also is an issue of the heart. The sins of the heart. Friends, that is what we have been studying about today. But you know, in closing, even though we're not married, maybe you're thinking, well, this, this lesson has nothing to do with me. Maybe you're not married, you're still single. You don't even, maybe you don't even lust after a woman in your heart, okay? You can still be called an adulterer or adulteress. How? You see, in James chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, what? Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. What classifies us as adulterers or adulteresses? 
friendship with the world. You see, friends, if we are friends with the world, we are at enmity, we're, we're an enemy of God. That is spiritual adultery. Look, even God, He wants our whole heart. He wants not just part of it, but 100%. He wants us to be fully His and His alone. Just like in any normal relationship, we don't want divided love. We don't want the person that we're married to to love us only 50% or even 80%, even 90% is not good enough. We want that person to be totally and fully in love with us and us only in Christ. He desires the same thing today as well. And friends, we got to learn to surrender. Give Him our whole heart. We can't be the devils during the weekdays and only Christ's when we go to church. we got to be His fully every day, every single day, to be willing to be fully His. Friends, we've got to learn to love God with our whole heart, our whole strength and our soul and our mind. And today we will see that if we do, He is fairer than the least. He's sweeter than the honey. He's more fine than any gold out there that the world can offer. Friends, if only we would give Him a serious chance, if only we would spend time with Him day to day and understand what abundant living is all about, then we would never turn away from God. And so friends today, let's tell God not only that we love Him, because lip service, it's too easy, but that we desire for Him to come into our lives and to make it His abode with us. That's surrendering, friends. Telling God, not, oh God, I love you, but don't hold him at arm's length. Say, Christ, come into my heart today. Abide with me. Come into my heart and, and change what you need to change. Christ, please, let me have a real relationship with you today. And you can help me with the sins of my heart. It's not just about whether I can go to heaven or not, whether I'm saved or not. But I want to be happy even here on this life, in this life. I want to have true joy. I want to experience true love. I want to know what abundant living is all about. Why don't you surrender your lives to Him today, brothers and sisters? Why don't you give Him fully your whole heart today? Undivided love. That's my desire for each and every one of you. But it's a choice that we personally have to make. And so I want to invite you to pray with me. And as I pray that we would personally say, God, I surrender everything. I surrender everything to you today. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for loving us with your whole heart. I pray that you would please teach us how to reciprocate that love, to, to love you the way you have loved us. Lord, I know to some extent that's impossible. It's so difficult. We cannot. But I pray that you'd help us. Help us to be like Christ. Help us to understand His love. And may we learn to surrender, Lord. Please come into our hearts today. Help us that we might have a true and a real relationship with you. Guide us to that end, O Lord. Please, we surrender. Come in right now, Lord. Come in right now and take full control. This is our earnest plea and prayer. And I also pray that for any of my brothers and sisters who might be struggling with the sins of the heart this evening, I pray that you would strengthen them, 
that you would give them hope, help them to see that you still love them and you're offering them a second chance. So Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you and we just pray that you would please teach us how we can truly love you with all our hearts today. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.